Hi, I'm Chantal Lowe from Include NYC, and I'm pleased to start this episode of Disability Inc. with my good friend Rick Wadati. Hey. <laughs> hey, Rick. Rick Wadati is an award winning photographer and has spent the past 25 years collaborating internationally with nonprofit organizations, hospitals, medical schools, educational institutions, museums, galleries, advocacy groups, and communities to affect a sea change in societal attitudes towards individuals living with genetic, physical, behavioral, or intellectual difference. His work has been published in newspapers, magazines, and journals as diverse as L, GQ, People, the American Journal of Medical Genetics, The Lancet, Spirituality and Health, The Washington Post, Atlantic Monthly, and Life Magazine. Wow, Rick, that's a mouthful. Rick is also the founder and director of Positive Exposure, a nonprofit organization that promotes a more inclusive world through award-winning photography, film, and educational programs. Positive exposure has significantly impacted the fields of human rights, mental health, medicine, and education by providing new opportunities to see each individual as a human being. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about positive exposure? Sure. I could talk about, it's like my favorite topic. I can talk about positive forever. So this year marks the 25th year. Now, I was a fashion photographer here in New York City. I've worked here. I was here also living in Milan and Paris, working for all these great clients and great models. And I was always told who was beautiful, though. And it was really frustrating because I refused to see beauty just on covers of magazines. I see beauty absolutely everywhere. So it was 25 years ago, this coming October, that I spotted a kid waiting for a bus at the corner of 20th Street and Park Avenue, across the street from my photography studio. She was stunning. This kid was had never been included in the beauty center. It was so striking about her. She had white, white hair, pale skin. She had a condition called albinism. Albino was the common term. This kid was stunning. It never had I met a model that looked like her. Never was she ever included in the very narrow parameters of the beauty standard. And I, I was just so blown away by how beautiful she was. And then I was also so aware of the narrow parameters of the beauty standard that only allowed certain beauty in. And as an artist, I thought it was my responsibility to create a, a space to re represent beauty in its full color, in its sound, in its vibration, in its, its smell, in its, 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 its bright flashing lights. And, and that started positive exposure. Um, and, that's, and that really is the beginning 25 years ago. When I've taken it from there to, you know, from spawning this kid to finding really negative images in medical textbooks representing um, uh, albinism and other genetic conditions, which was just so just kind of blooming, that just knocked me off my, my feet because this, this kid was gorgeous, yet the representation in medical textbooks, in medical education was predominantly negative. And it wasn't just kids with albinism, it was kids with all kinds of diagnosis. And they were all just depicted as diseases or specimens, always with like a black bar across their eyes, usually naked up against a wall in a doctor's office. And I thought that something's got to change here. This, this is about albinism, but there's a universal message here. This is about uh, representing beauty and, and celebrating human diversity. So, and creating an opportunity for people to see beyond disease, beyond diagnosis, to the beauty of the humanity that we share. So that's really what Pile Positive Exposure started. First, the first uh, series of images of all the kids with albinism was a cover story in Life magazine called Redefining Beauty. 
showed albinism. It was a five-page spread, lots of accolades for it, lots of awards for it, which was really fantastic to get these awards. And it was great. But I, one of the awards that I received for, for this piece was from the Genetic Alliance, which is a coalition of all the genetic support groups. And they offered and they presented me with the Art of Reporting and as I received the art of reporting work for the Life magazine piece, it was great honor, it was really cool. Um, the director at the time said, I'm looking at all these beautiful images of albinism, but there's really a universal message here. This isn't just about albinism, this is about all differences. And would you come to another one of our family conferences or advocacy groups like the albinism support group, NOAA, and that represents other genetic conditions and celebrate their differences? And I thought, Fantastic, I would love that. And that started this whole new, the, the, it really kind of gave it legs and it really put us on the, the trajectory to really kind of change the way medical information is presented to healthcare providers in training. Because right now, they were, at that point, they were using these images of kids naked up against the wall in the doctor's office presenting Marfan syndrome, chromosome 18 anomaly, um, uh, Mobius, and there were all these images depicting lacking humanity. And as an artist, I found it so easy to add that beauty back into those images. And we learn better that way. I mean, I go to family conferences and I go to medical schools right now because I can actually pronounce arthrogryposis multiplex congenitive. <laughs> not because I want to spell it or, or not that I studied it in a medical textbook, but I went to these conferences. So I bring med students with me now to go to these conferences and I shove them in daycare and I lock the door on them and I check back in on them. And they always have like poop on their shoulder, like gum in their hair, but they're going to be better doctors because they met these kids not in crisis. They met these kids not looking like those specimens, and they met these kids not in the clinical environment. Talk to me a little bit about the tagline that positive exposure has around change how you see, see how you change, because what you were just discussing makes me think about that a little bit deeper, how you have reframed disability for the medical profession, um, or are attempting to reframe the medical, um, how health professionals and doctors experience um, some of their patients. So if you can talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. sure. Well, for, for our first goal, of course, we have a very significant focus on healthcare and medical education, but specifically we're looking in the broader public arena, specifically to change public perceptions of anyone that is, that's different, anyone that's at risk of stigma or, an ex or exclusion. So the, the, the tagline, change how you see, see how you change, came from the very first photo shoot that I did with a young woman by the name of Christine. She's the first kid with albinism that I was starting to photograph in the beginning of this whole series. This is, wait, this is 25 years ago, shot in December, 1997, believe it or not. This kid walked into my studio, it was the first kid out that the National Organization for Albinism was behind this project with all the support, we're so excited. In walks beautiful Christine, but she walks in with her shoulders hung head down, one word answers, zero self-esteem as a direct result of the bullying and the teasing and the abuse she experienced every single day in the classroom because of her difference. And it broke my heart to see this kid who had zero self-esteem just standing there like, I'm like, how am I going to photograph her? But just the day before I photographed Cindy Crawford on the same set for a Revlon shoot. And I, so I thought, you know, out of respect for this gorgeous kid, I want to photograph her like I would any supermodel. So the fan went on, the music went on, and I literally just held up a mirror that was next to the set. And I held it up to her face. And I said, Christine, look at yourself. You're magnificent. And this kid looked in the mirror and she saw exactly what I saw. And she exploded literally with the smile that lit up New York City. 
Christine desperately needed to change the way she saw herself. Her community desperately needed to change the way that they saw her difference. So that's where it came. The whole slogan came, change how you see, see how you change. She walked into school the next day, not like she normally does with her head down, but like this, wow, because she finally, and once, you, once you're enlightened with that vision of beauty, and that, that, it sustains itself. And, she, and it doesn't, you never reverse back, you just stay enlightened. So you awoke uh, the supermodel in her that was always there. <laughs> always there. It's always, always, always there. We all have that inside of us, by the way. We just need the right light. So uh, I also hear this theme of your work or starting to hear this theme that was unraveling in your work around one, dare I say, cultural activism. Yeah. And um, it makes me think of another project of yours, uh, your frame project, which is Faces Redefining the Art of Medical Education. Can you tell me a little bit more about the purpose of frame and what frame um, hopes to sure. the shift? Well, we saw, we created frame because from that perfect experience of going to the Arthur Gripostas conference, meeting these gorgeous kids, and I, and I just know I needed to bring med students with me all to all these advocacy organization conferences. And I go to many of them in the summer months. And I bring med students with me, but we can't bring them all with us. And each year there's another generation of med students that we really need to enlighten and approach. I'm in all, over 50% of the medical schools in the country at the moment, which is amazing, but we have another 50% to go to, go through. But it's really important that we all get that message that a, a healthcare provider early in their training understands that it's never what you're treating, but always who you're treating. And that's so, and that's the message of Frame. The Frame, they're, they're eight to 12 minutes. They're films. It's an online film library. It's on our website. Uh, it's an, it's a, they're eight to 12 minutes long. All the basic hallmark characteristics of a certain genetic condition, but as presented by somebody living with that genetic condition themselves or their families. So placing front row and center in medical education, humanity. These films were specific early days going towards medical students, and we still have a very wide, really heavily used in medical education, but they're also available in, and they're also being utilized in the broader public arena. Because after all, wherever we are, whatever country I'm on, which continent I'm on, which culture I'm in, where, what, what language we're speaking, how many translators I have because we're out in the, in the bushes in, 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 in Mali and West Africa, we all have the same need and we all share this need. And it's a need to be seen, a need to be heard, and a need to belong. What I find most interesting about Frame is you're not only talking about individuals with genetic conditions, you've also tackled some multi-layer topics. An example um, that I recently saw uh, on your website was um, you have a Frame film on early onset Alzheimer's or Down syndrome. You also have one on supported decision-making, which supported decision-making is uh, an alternative to guardianship for um, individuals with intellectual disabilities about navigating um, their um, their decisions really put in adulthood. Uh, why have you kind of gone that track as well? So it's not just about humanizing um, different conditions, but it's also exploring topics within that affect. Because we're not really sitting on making those decisions that we're going to cover this topic, we're covering that topic. We sit and we listen to our community, our community of people that experience stigma, exclusion across the board. And we're there and we say yes to everyone. 
as, as, and all, as often as we can. And we're getting funding to do this. So when we're, we speak to a community that's like, you know, there's, I just met with a, a whole series of healthcare providers who had no idea that supported decision-making was a thing. And can we, can we at least present that? So we're like, of course. So then we work that in and we get funding for that. And then we go ahead and pursue that. Uh, so, much, so many of our, our, you know, the people that we photograph uh, and our ambassadors, uh, we, we don't want to just tell like the positive stories as well. We want to make sure that we, we have, there's a really well-rounded network here and that we're presenting information that can be helpful. And but, by, but really by relying on the experiences of our community and having them understand that their stories, their experiences once shared are so valuable and we want to we need to capture those and so we're working right now we're working on a collection of over 10 frame films for this next year starting one starting saturday on the the lack of representation in dark of dark skin in dermatology education so we're and so you're getting all these presentations of a variety of skin dermatological conditions but very rarely do you see them on dark skin so how does that we recognize that so we're working very closely and that starts saturday now um, we're looking at uh, really looking at health, uh, uh, mental health and, and, and disability and that association there. Really creating that space and looking at really under trying to understand how life impacts all of us and let's tell those stories. So we developed this, the supported decision making, created that film because we're listening to our community and they asked, can we do this? We need something out there. So it's a beautiful little film. Same thing as an early onset Alzheimer's in our aging Down syndrome community or adult Down syndrome community. We have so many gorgeous kids, but then so many of these, and they become so independent and families really support them and these, they're out there and they're, and then all of a sudden they start losing their independence because on the third, you know, the protein for Alzheimer's is on the, the 21st chromosome. People ah, with Down okay. And I didn't realize that connection. And people with Down syndrome have three on it, three chromosomes. So there's a really higher risk or uh, incidence of early onset. So we really want to have those conversations and, and make sure that we're aware of that and that it's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no, no, there's no, we're just kind of having these important conversations, sometimes difficult, but putting those information that those out there and also to empower the families to know that again their experiences are valuable and will be valuable in future healthcare providers um, training so you before you spoke to the fact that you are in 50 percent of the medical schools uh, across the u.s how did you get into medical schools how did they embrace um your work i'm assuming they embrace your work because of course i'm a huge fan of positive exposure yeah. but what was that entry point into that space? The, the entry point was, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a bit of a convoluted story, but the entry point was uh, the co-founder of Positive Exposure was a Dr. Diane McLean. She was a second year med student at Weill Cornell and an old, we were roommates, early 80s. <laughs> we were great friends. <laughs> before I moved to Milano, before I lived in Paris. And we were really great friends. And we kind of lost touch. Diane went to Columbia. She was an epidemiologist at Columbia, worked in the Children's Health Fund. And, and, and then she decided that she wanted to be more proactive in healthcare, so she went to med school. At, during her class on genetics, they presented the Positive Exposure Redefining Beauty um, Life magazine piece in her classroom on showing albinism. And she's like, wait a minute. I know him, so she called me immediately. Like, Diane, I was screaming, and I was getting ready to go to the South Pacific on a small grant to explore cultural perceptions of albinism in the South Pacific. 
they found out that there was a, in, in, in Fiji, a tribe couldn't hold their territory unless they had somebody with albinism in a powerful political position. So it was important we wanted to go and explore that. Also in, 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 um, in uh, the Cook Islands, there was a beautiful legend about a person, the first person born with albinism. And then there was, an, and then there was also a group in, in New Zealand that didn't have a formed uh, albinism support group, but they asked me to come and help them get that together. So Diane came as an epidemiologist, first year med student from Weill Cornell on a grant that we received from the International uh, Fellows Program at Weill Cornell. So she came for two months with me, we traveled around and we went back, part of that grant was we had to present it to the med students, the second year med students. So we did that, that was in, two, that was in 1999. And so this, we just had my 23rd presentation to the med students at Wild Canal. Wow. So some of the students that we spoke to that first year are almost retired now. <laughs> so yeah, but it's, and it's, and it's always a great, because it's a presenting an idea, not that I'm not coming, I'm not lecturing saying, oh, this is, you got to think this way, you're wrong. It's just coming from a beauty perspective. You know, we all know that there's a lot of science in medicine, but there's a lot of art and passion in medicine as well and that's and that's really what we're doing we want to get these healthcare providers and training to start thinking and staying connected to their passion staying connected to their art and really seeing the beauty in, in, in medicine wow I, i'm not sure i've ever heard that there was art in medicine but now i can see it i hear I'm, I'm moving along with you to that vision of seeing the art and passion in medicine Oh, it's ah. there. It's so there. You know, I've started uh, several new projects. I just started a, a project in a, a frame film, but also a photographic exhibition on, on uh, the NICU experience, a neonatal intensive care unit experience, not just from the perspective of the families who are often in the NICU for months and months and months at a time, sometimes a year. Uh, and it's the community that they build around because they can't bring all the grandmothers and the grand and the uncles and the cousins to come visit because it's the NICU. So they've got to keep it really you know, kind of kind of a capsule um and so so it's the relation and that relationship with the NICU but also telling the perspective from the staff from the nurses the doctors the the the, the, the lactate the doctors that's president the uh, physical therapist the, the language the speech therapist everybody together down in the person who scrubs the floor to make sure that these kids live in a germ-free environment and telling their and valuing those experiences as well and we're going to do them we're starting it in florida we're going to do it here in new york and then Boston and then create an opportunity to have other photographers around the country do the same in their local NICUs once we build this platform. Always collaborate with other photographers knowing that it can't just be positive exposure, it can't just be Rick. We've got to do this hand in hand, arm in arm to change the way the world sees difference, of course. But another project that we're starting with, I'm off to Berkeley in a couple of weeks and uh, um, is uh, at the end, of, the end of this month, is working with uh, doctors without uh, doctors with disabilities. Kind of doctors with disabilities. Tell me more about that. I don't that's think that's extraordinary. Doctors with disabilities. We're starting with. We're starting in, in Stanford, and it's uh, we're creating. An, there are doctors out there that have disabilities and, and ready to talk about it, and out there, and you know they're not hiding. They're, and yet we're kind of creating because there's always this hierarchy in medical education. So we thought the perspective of doctors with disabilities are already at this level for healthcare providers and training to see them and their and their mentors as, as and it's going to normalize disability it's going to bring disability out of the you know out of the they, they, they not normalize it but it's going to take that the stigma away from it in medical education there is stigma and disability 
And we and and I've devoted my life to getting rid of that, eradicating that stigma. And I think this is going to be a really incredible start to those. So we start in Stanford, and it's going to just be amazing. We have doc, doc, across the board, doctors stepping up, visual impairments, mental health challenges, uh, uh, mobility issues. It's just across the board. The one of the of uh, a doctor that I met, her name was. Um, Dr. Nadia, she was a second year med student in, in, in Doha, in Education City, when I met her. And she, and she has uh, acromesomelic dysplasia, a very rare form of dwarfism. And amazing, a gorgeous, stunning, gorgeous, glorious. Yes, I recall your images of Dr. Nadia. She Dr. is absolutely stunning. Dr. Nadia said to me when she was the second year med, the only thing I need to be a successful physician is a step ladder. <laughs> and she got the stepladder. She did her. She did a residency at Children's Hospital Dayton, Ohio, postdoc at Baylor. Now she's in DC. Got married a year and a half ago. She, she just just uh, can't wait. We haven't been able to be together because of COVID, but they're planning a trip this summer for the wedding photos. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so very excited. But again, again, it's just looking at it's just it's perspective. It's changing perceptions in, in not just in the medical field, but in broader public arenas as well. Creating opportunities to beyond disease, beyond diagnosis. It's our differences that unite us all. So we need to embrace those. Again, you bring me back to this thought of really uh, inherent throughout your work the last twenty five years is this activism, this kind of through line and thread. Um, and I was so pleased a couple of years ago when I learned of positive exposure, opening an art gallery on Mile. Tell me about the significance of having your own gallery space for positive this exposure. Is, this has been a dream for 25 years to have a safe space, a multimedia gallery space, performance space where we can create and celebrate the art from our community, the art that's being created in our community, whether it's through multi multidisciplined art, it could be through. Um, uh, uh, um, performance, poetry, uh, painting, photography, uh, texture, multi-tactile, uh, across the board, but creating art that also is accessible, making sure that the art, there's a way that the art can be enjoyed by our communities that are, have a certain, um, that are not normally able to see and, and experience artwork because of certain, for certain, using certain senses, but creating opportunities that that art is accessible. How do you create accessible art? What is the art of accessible? What is the art of accessibility? I, I, I don't think you can throw that term out there without giving me a little bit more. Yeah, well, there's a beautiful, to, to create, you know, that we, that we're all, so many of us feel the, the, the burden of making things accessible. And it's like, no, there's no burden there. There's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in being able to share something stunning with the people that can experience it any way that they want. So that creates its own level, its own platform for of art, of how do you make it accessible and how, and how does that become part of the actual creation of art. And, access, and making something accessible is part of it. It's like choosing a bright red or choosing a texture. It's making it accessible. It's just much, it has to be part of that language and that to really make art accessible and enjoyable. I was at, this, at a school for the blind several years back and where we just started learning and, and talking about how, and there was a school for the blind. I'm, I'm talking about my photography and showing photographs and really speaking to the students and hearing what it sounds like. What does a smile look like to you? 
What does somebody in a, of the bright, the color red look like to you? What does someone jumping on a trampoline look like to you? What does it sound like? What, and creating this, this new language and that be, it just adds so many layers to the, the creation of, of work. That, that this gallery on, on Museum Mile on 109th Street that you're all welcome to, Key, I'm getting, we're, we're there all the time, just come on by. Um, it's just, it's, it's exactly that. It's creating opportunities to come and to enjoy experience art, to experience and to have a place where you can come and, and really dream big. It's, it's you know, we're, we're all limited by our own imaginations. This gallery is creating a safe space for us all to get together and sit at the same table and dream as large, as big as we want to change the way the world sees difference by doing it in collaboration and creating community. And we, we've hosted exhibitions, exhibits of so many different artists and photographers and performers and dancers, and, and that's just going to continue to grow. And it's to have this space at 109th Street in East Harlem on Museum Mall, right across from the Africa Center, provides an opportunity, a safe space for, for us to, to gather, to be here, to, to have a place that we can call our own, that we can work out of, that we can try new ideas. But we, but we just received a grant from the New York State Council for the Arts. And the grant was to create opportunities for disabled artists and non-disabled artists to collaborate, to create artwork together, raising the visibility of our disabled artists in the, on the stage, on the screen, and in the broader public arenas, creating opportunities to really change the audience out. We don't need to just be showing our audience or to, to disabled audiences. And we have Coda just won the, the Academy Award for that. I mean, how amazing is that? So this, it's, it's a human movement. And we're all just, we had better get on, we better get on that boat or we're gonna miss the ride. And it's like to create that space downstairs. It's like, in, in, I'm, I'm on the second floor right now, third floor right now, but the gallery's on three. And it's, and you know, even during COVID, we weren't able to bring um, people into the gallery. We have a, a courtyard that we share with the Common Pantry in New York City, um, right here on the 100th And we put, working with an artist by the name of Marco Santini, we created a, a four-story mural of the word love in over a hundred languages. Which you, it's, it's monumental, and you must come and check that out. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, I've personally only seen it in photograph, but I plan on seeing it in person soon. Um, but wasn't that project also in collaboration with District Seventy Five Schools in New York uh, City? It started off on its own. The our campaign was to fill the world with love, but New York, New York City's Department of Education and District 75, the classrooms where students need to spend a little extra time with their students because of a certain uh, certain extra time that they need in the classroom environment, particular attention. We then collaborated with District 75 to create artwork on the campaign of filling the world with love. So we started off first. We we had an exhibition right before the pandemic, before the wall went in. Uh, on Myself, My World, which was a, a citywide, all the boroughs, all students submitted art about showing and telling us the world a little bit about themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and the artwork was magnificent. Of course, we had to shift to a virtual platform, which we did because of the pandemic. But we kept that relationship so great. And, that, and so we created artwork based on the wall of love that we first we did luminaries with these 
back from, came from around the globe and also all throughout all the schools in New York. And then we just did another one where we have public spaces where we have students kind of creating, again, filling the world with love. What does love look like to creating artwork that were in, so we installed on two buildings, two schoolyard buildings, uh, fences on East Harlem and also down the East Village. And then Saturday, this Thursday, Friday, we're installing another artwork based on another artist from District 75, just tacked on this gorgeous artist, uh, painter. And she then did a little class with all the students and teachers and inspired their work and all that. We have over 450 pieces that we're installing on the schoolyard. All so, created by District 75 students. All created by District 75 students. And it's, and it's, the work is magnificent, magnificent. And, and it's going to be so powerful. It it's going to cover a city block in New York City. It'll be amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. No, it sounds amazing. I, I, I hope you do share the information with us later. Um, so again, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I thank you for spending the time talking with us, but there's this very clear um, change how you see, see how you change kind of through line throughout your work. Um, and really the excitement is palpable of, of how you've continued to ignite these opportunities for um, beauty. Well, I mean, the thing is that the, the beauty exists there. It exists there. We're just trained not to see it because we're told, we're, every day we're told what's beautiful, what is beautiful, what's acceptable. What's, and it's like, no, <laughs> I'm very sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't I, I've given that up. I'm, I'm not buying into that anymore. And, and and every day it proves to myself that I, that the, the beauty exists in full color, in full sound, and vibration, and motion, and, and smell, and the whole, it's all there. It exists constantly. It just it's just training us, you know, every day, you know, to see it. You know, it's, it's 25 years ago I spotted that gorgeous kid waiting for a bus, and I often think to myself, how often did I walk by that kid till I was ready to see her? She was probably there every day. And I wasn't ready to see her. So the thing is that catches me is, and the, the, what we always need to be is be aware to, of that in your head, change how you see, see how you change, be ready for that moment where things just shift and everything becomes is in technicolor and has music to it and, and sound and vibration. And it's, it changes it all. I mean, it's, and one of the greatest things that I've, love doing so much when I'm photographing somebody. This is this happens all the time. So when I'm photographing that gorgeous face and they're dancing and they're like, yeah, that kid is shining. It's the white lights on them and they're being seen in all their glory. And it's amazing to look just past his or her shoulder to his mom or dad. And they're looking and they're beaming even brighter because finally somebody sees their kid the way that they see. And that's kind of magnificent. That's just that moment. That's just like so incredible to, to see that that joy. That 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 that's that's also becomes art. That, that feeds the art. And that feeds the passion. And you always kind of have to have that that inspiration. That that language that comes in all the time. The music or the line, the words that go along with the music. It's a, and it just completes it all. Every photographic exhibition we've seen some so many of them. We still continue to exhibit the same way face mounted on glass or on plexi, highly polished surface. So as you approach this gorgeous image of this gorgeous kid with this gorgeous smile or, or giggle or, or, or energy oozing off the disc of the, of the print, you're also aware of your own photograph, your own image. So it becomes instantly the language here, the message here, it's never about them. 
It's about us. This is there is no them here. There's only us. And that's what this is all about. It's kind of the, the impact of this is to give us all the freedom that we need to look in that mirror and celebrate our own differences. Thank you. I appreciate, as I said before, you taking the time, Rick, to, to chat with us here at Include NYC. Uh, we look forward to other opportunities uh, to collaborate together and continue on with, um, I think I'm going to use this phrase, the uh, art of accessibility. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.